coming up. What an excellent day for spontaneous combustion. I have questions. Well, howdy, folks, and welcome to Minute 31 of The Exorcist Minute, a show where we endeavor to examine, extrapolate, and excavate The Exorcist minute by terrifying minute. My name is Lester Ryan Clark. And I'm Keenan Diaz. And we'll be your holy guides on this journey through what some have called the scariest movie of all time. Okay, so our minute begins with Chris saying, God damn it, and moving that thing she bumped into. And it ends with church bells ringing. Church bells ringing. But before we go to church, let's head back up to that attic with Chris. So she's looking around. She's searching around. And Keenan, you had mentioned before about how when you're acting, these smaller bits of business are tough. Like when you're waiting for something to happen or you're searching for something. And I realized, you know, that really is an odd bit of business to do. Like, okay, I got to be searching, really searching for something. Like, how do I really search for something? But then I got to find it in the spot where the camera can see my face on the moment of discovery. Right. right? How do I look at nothing? Yeah. Right. And then, <laughs> and then find something that I already know is going to be there. Right. <laughs> yeah. And especially if it is, um, you know, so dark, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> if that's the point it's like, oh, I, I'm looking, but I'm not supposed to be able to see anything. So you're doing that like fourth wall work that a lot of, um, you know, every, every acting teacher or style is a little bit different, but all of them in film and theater, right. Try to include this fourth wall work where you're looking where there is, you know, the crew guys and they're, they're doing all their business, but sometimes you might lock eyes with like someone eating a donut, you know, cause they're not, <laughs> they're not being used right now. And you have to like, Oh, pretend no, that's, that's, uh, that's something else there. I, I just was on a movie. Uh, I had a small part in a movie shooting here in Vegas and we were acting directly into camera. Like it's a montage of, uh, of the main character. She just had her divorce and she's going on a series of bad dates and they're going to intercut it all together. And so we, we, the dates were acting directly into camera, completely subjective. That was very different for me. And you normally you try to, yeah, avoid looking at the lens or just again, fourth walling it, pretending that the lens is, um, is uh, something else there, like yeah. in the back of the wall. Yeah. Ah, well, Somehow, uh, Chris is able to do that here uh, as she peers through the darkness of the attic. And again, we're not saying metaphorically dark, guys. It is literally dark. It is hard to see, even for us, the audience. Um, But she turns a corner and her eye falls naturally on something and she stops short. We then get a zoom in on a mousetrap that has not sprung. So yes, Carl has in fact put down the traps and... Yes, there appear to be no rats, or at least none that prefer cheese. <laughs> those who have evolved past the uh, the need for cheese, or <laughs> those who have evolved past the need for traps. Right, right. The ones who are like, oh, I know what those are. Yeah. I'm just imagining Captain Howdy is actually up there, and he's laughing to himself after Carl sets the trap. He's like, ha, these fools have no idea what they're up against. And then he sees the traps, and he's like, is that Rakota? <laughs> <laughs> and then we cut to downstairs and everyone's having breakfast and you hear just uh, like this loud snap. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> yes, he would. He would. Uh, I wonder what he would like. Would he like ancient um, Levantine uh, cheese or would he like the new modern stuff? Uh, that American cheese, that cheese whiz. We didn't get that back in Samaria. We got to get Captain Howdy in here and ask him his opinion on whether or not cheese whiz is actual cheese. Um, <laughs> Do you know this about, you know, I'm from Hawaii originally. Mm-hmm. Do you know this about spam in Hawaii? I, I've heard that it is, it is um, uh, a little bit more popular over there than It here? is incredibly popular and it's something of a delicacy like you, like, um, 
I mean, now nowadays, spam is kind of expensive. <laughs> it used to be a lot cheaper than it was. But, you know, in the mainland, when it was cheap food, it's sort of the, the trimmings of, of ham. And the so it is it is ham. It is real meat. But it's the trimmings of things that that they then force into a into a mold. Right. Um, but, but in Hawaii, when um, when Hawaiians were discovering spam, it was something that they could only get from American GIs and people would come from the mainland. And it was this delicacy. It was rarer. So a lot of Hawaiian food, it says um, a lot of Hawaiian cuisine has as spam in it as a central focus. So spam musubi, which is a um, like a musubi Japanese style, the rice ball, but it has it has spam in it. Spam and eggs is a big thing for breakfast, and and it's like it is specifically just because it was so foreign <laughs> to Hawaii that they use so on the mainland. It's seen as kind of you know trashy food, but it, but in Hawaii it's like a staple, and, and even more than a staple, like it's delicious. So I mean, I think that's what uh, Captain Howdy would be. <laughs> He'd be like, we didn't have this back in Sumeria, so <laughs> I, I like. <laughs> I like cheese whiz. I like, I like the taste of the, the plastic wraps put on the craft singles. That's what he, I need. That, he'll eat it. the entire plastic wrap. He'll, yeah. <laughs> He's got those teeth as we'll see later. Right. Right. Oh my God. No, I love that idea. Okay. Firstly. Okay. You got me on this whole captain. How do you think? Yes. Yes. He would, he would absolutely be a, um, uh, a gourmet of, of newer foods, uh, <laughs> that we would look at and be like, um, you know, Captain Howdy, it's just a, it's just a Reese's peanut butter cup. And he's like, no, you don't get it. You don't get it. <laughs> you, don't you see? They, they made a mistake at the factory. It's all berries. <laughs> we have to get these. Well, it's a limited time only. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Howdy, you can order those. It's like, no, no. <laughs> no, it's a mistake. You're just trying to get my berries. <laughs> to take, right, take advantage of, oh yes, the leprechaun won't let me have these charms. <laughs> Captain Howdy, that's a mascot. It's like, what's a, what's a, what's a mascot? <laughs> Am I a mascot? Well, you could be. Artists, please. Um, <laughs> but also, like, uh, to what you were saying about the spam, I love the history of, uh, like, how, like, staple foods and how, like, these these popular uh, foods kind of, like, developed because of, like, some kind of uh, geographical or cultural uh, collision or, mm-hmm. or, you know, happenstance or something like that. I, lo- I love those stories. That's, that's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm. But no, in this minute, it's made clear to Chris, even if we already knew that rats are most definitely not the problem. Right. Um, Carl knew it. Carl knew it. Carl was right. There are no rats. Yeah. Um, I also want to say, I see what you mean now, uh, Keenan, about the zoom. Mm-hmm. It really reminds me here that this is a seventies <laughs> movie. Um, it's funny. We talk about how special effects, practical effects, and, and even like CGI or especially CGI can, uh, date a film. And, uh, just a couple years later, uh, they can look really old compared to, uh, what's currently being used. I have a book by Andy Serkis, uh, who you guys mm-hmm. probably know. He played Gollum in Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies. And his book is sort of uh, his journal as he learns about and he goes through the process of this brand new method of acting, animation, special effects. We don't know. It's motion capture. But like, you know, back then it was like such a new thing. What do we call this thing? Right. Um, he wasn't the first, but he, he's certainly the one who, I mean, like the Olivier of motion capture or the Brando of motion capture, the one who who made it the thing. Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah, they didn't even know like uh, what to categorize it as, but it, yeah, it was called motion capture. And I remember seeing the Gollum in uh, the two towers and thinking, well, this is it. This is the pinnacle. You can't get any better than this. Uh, and then maybe like a year later, you look at it again and you're like, oh, like 
Like, how did I ever think that this was the best they could do? Right. Like, like even looking at the Gollum in the Hobbit versus the Gollum of the two towers, it's, oh, it's very really? different. You know, I, I don't go back and look at the Lord of the Rings movies. I think that they're uh, too long. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't gone back and looked at, at the two towers. So you're saying that, that, so whatever that was 10 years afterwards when they, they redo Gollum, I guess from scratch in the new Hobbit mm, movies, he looks mm. better than, than, he Oh, did. it like worlds better. Like it oh, is, wow. it is amazing. There's, there's a little bit in, uh, when he's trying to guess, uh, uh, the riddle that that Bilbo poses to him, mm-hmm. and just his—it's just a close up on his face and his eyes as he's like looking around. And he, and he, he like he almost gets it, and then he's like, "No, no, that's not it. <gasps> oh no, that's not it." And, and it's just like so, like even now it, it holds up. It's it's very very good. But like to that point, then you go back and you look at Two Towers Gollum, and you're like, "Oh, this is the like I can see the evolution of the technology even here. Like when when the Two Towers was like such a celebrated." Um, uh, um, uh, uh, innovation of of, te- of of that kind of technology. Right. You know? That was the first time that people legitimately were talking about potentially Andy Serkis being nominated for an Oscar for motion of entirely motion capture performance, right? right? right. So the, the only one who has, I think, significantly done motion capture for an Oscar nomination is Brad Pitt in The Curious Case of Andrew Mutton. But he is oftentimes, he's not motion capture. Right. Most of the time he is, but but he's also appearing, you know, on camera. Um, so, I mean, that that's a, that's a question that I think people have gotten over. Uh, you, you know, like, like is a performance in motion capture really the same thing as a performance? Could it be nominated? Um, right. I think Circus will win an honorary Oscar at some point. They'll, they'll look back, you know, as, as the Oscars often do and be like, well, we messed up 20 years ago, 30 years. <laughs> oh, it, it's almost 20 years ago now, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> so let's say 30 or 40 years ago. Right. But um, yeah, Brad Pitt, they've talked a little bit about Zoe Saldana for Avatar, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but then in uh, in animation, I don't know if you know this, there's never been an animated performance, like just a pure voiceover performance that's been nominated for an Oscar. Mm. But uh, two of them have been nominated for BAFTAs. I wonder if you can th- guess what they are. Ooh. So not not Andy Serkis or Zoe Saldana, but two two completely voice acting performances. They're both from the 2000s on. Oh, speaking they're of They're both riddles. like the early 2000s. Yeah, speaking of riddles. I think they're they're two of people's favorite performances, and they're entirely voice actors. Okay, um, you won't kill me if I get this wrong. No, 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 no. I didn't even think to quiz you. Like I like the quiz that you wrote for me yeah. specifically <laughs> a couple minutes ago. Um, a couple minutes ago being a couple episodes ago. Right, God, yes, this is... a couple episodes ago. <laughs> um, okay, okay, okay. Animated, animated uh, things that won a BAFTA uh, post. Oh, yeah, they're nominated for BAFTAs. Yeah, oh. it's in the early two thousands. They're voice performances that are two of people's very favorite performances. Oh gosh. Um, and is uh, okay. Uh. Is one of them a Pixar film? Uh, one of them is a Pixar film. One, one of them, them is, is not a Pixar, Pixar film. film. Okay, okay. One of them is a Pixar film. Is it from mm-hmm. Up? No, it's earlier than that. Oh, it's earlier than Up. Damn it. Okay, okay, okay. All right. Is it... Finding Nemo. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. We're getting closer. We're getting well, closer. Yeah, the second one is from Finding Nemo. Second one is Finding Nemo. Is it... Ooh. Current events. Ooh. <laughs> is it Ellen? Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah. It's Ellen DeGeneres. It's not, that's not current. What am I talking about? a nomination. Yeah. Uh-huh. For a completely voiced performance. Wow. Okay. Very good. And good. the previous one, not a Pixar. Okay. Not a Pixar. Okay. But it's still animated. Still animated, entirely it's, voiceover. It's a hundred percent animated. Yes. Okay. Um, 
2D or 3D? Uh, 3D. 3D. Okay. 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 It's not Pixar. All these guesses. Yeah. 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 This is like, it, yeah, if I was Gollum or Bilbo, I would be dead. Um, <laughs> this is, you, you know what this is, Keenan? Mm-hmm. This is like, this is like when someone stops you on the street for a TikTok and they're like, <laughs> think of a color and like all the, all the names of all the colors just like exit your brain. <laughs> There's a great one where Billy Eichner, um, you know, he, he's he's running up to people on the street. He says, ma'am, it's International Women's Month. Name a woman. He's oh, like, yes. What? I remember. What? Name a woman. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> name a woman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, 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 I'm just going to throw this out mm-hmm. there. Um, Shrek. Uh-huh. What? <laughs> Which performance from Shrek? Are you fucking serious? Would be the BAFTA nominee. Uh-huh. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> um, Mike Myers? No, it was Eddie Murphy, actually. It was Eddie Murphy, for, wow. <laughs> for Shrek, yeah. Two of people's favorite performances. But then it was finally like, yeah, only the BAFTAs, only the only the um, the British Oscars have done that, not the American wow. Oscars. Wow. What a journey we have gone on, <laughs> folks. Wow. Anyways, so we were talking about Zooms, I believe. Yes, but oh, 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 oh. But like also, Keenan, uh, so you had mentioned Lord of the Rings before. Oh, well, I guess we both mentioned Lord of the Rings. Uh, there is a Lord of the Rings minute, folks. Um, and Keenan and I are are pretty opposite on this. I do I do watch the films and I, I, I am currently listening to the Lord of the Rings <laughs> minute podcast. Uh, that is going to keep me occupied Oh, uh, I think for a couple years, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, do they do the extended editions? I mean, that, they my, do. some of my friends are like, that's the only ones we'll be watching. Is the extended that is the, I was, I was just going to say, like, there is, is there any other ex- uh, edition? <laughs> that's yeah, probably no. why I don't go back and rewatch them because <laughs> you have to spend four or five hours to watch one movie again. It's my favorite, like, like, cause you know, like driving home to Vegas or driving back from uh, Vegas, like after the holidays or, or you know, uh, with the family and everything, I, that's that's a four hour, sometimes five hour, sometimes, depending on when I leave, eight hour drive. Right. And sometimes like I run out of books or podcasts, but like ever since I found this wonderful movie minute uh, family, I'm like, oh, goody, I have I have plenty to listen to. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so if you're in a long car ride, folks, um, listen to the Exorcist Minute. Uh, that'll, uh, yes. <laughs> I think they're already doing that. <laughs> yeah, they probably are. Um, <laughs> until we stop talking about the movie and started talking about Shrek oh, and Lord gosh. of the Rings and Gollum. And, and they're I'll like, always oh talk God. about Shrek. That's fine. Yeah. They're like, skip, 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 skip. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Okay. So, y- yeah. Uh, where, where the fuck are we? We're um, talking about the oh, Zoom. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. But not just for special effects although i guess those are the things that are the the um the easiest to notice right but i'm also talking about like the methods they use to show and tell us stuff um like this zoom Keenan. Mm-hmm. um so you referred to it as mechanical and up until now i i didn't have a good way to describe how i felt about it it's not something that our eyes do that, uh, that's a really good way of putting it yeah because yeah. we can yeah exactly that it's not something we can't we can't possibly do it we can't zoom with our eyes right right focus um, is another one of those mm, we can't focus our eyes like right. wherever we look our eyes focus but the camera can focus and decide to look at either foreground middle ground or background right right and i guess like you know they don't exactly do what a dolly shot does but that actually um, feels more like like uh, it, it captures the feeling of what your eyes mm-hmm. and mind do when we focus on an object much better than a zoom right like absolutely a dolly shot. right yeah. we're used to what it looks like when we walk through a field or when we uh, move sideways across something yeah absolutely 
Yeah. A, a Zoom really does remind me that I'm that I'm watching a movie. And even more, I think it reminds me that I'm watching an older movie, like, uh, like you know, 1970s. Um, and to that point, I actually want to point out how rare that has been in this movie so far. I feel like it's been very judicious with those types of uh, tricks so as not to date our film too much. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like you go back and you look at movies that were out around this time. And this one kind of stands out uh, in that way. What do you think? Yeah. So we have a couple of zooms. So there's, there's a couple in the father Marin stuff, especially when it gets really trippy and he's looking at the, at the statue of Pazuzu where Mm -hmm. it becomes less grounded in reality. We have some zooms there. And then we have one, um, where we are changing perspectives at the, uh, the rally that Chris is hosting within the movie within the movie. Right. Um, we have one that zooms across to father, uh, father Karras. And then we have a shot of father Karras. Yeah. So we sort of switch perspectives. Uh, and then we have this one. Um, Oh, we do have another one that's hidden, as we said a few minutes ago, um, a few episodes ago, which is um, when Chris is pacing uh, on the phone trying to get Howard the father. There's a zoom out, but Mm -hmm. it's pretty subtle. And then it it just is enough that um, eventually it's taken over by a dolly shot that's moving backwards. Oh, I didn't even notice that. I knew knew that we were moving out and I just assumed it was dolly shot all the way. Yeah, the beginning of it is a zoom and then it and then it's taken over by a um, by a dolly. It's hard sometimes to notice the difference. And then, you know, I I work with film students or, you know, there's people today, you you go on your iPhone and you can zoom in and out. You're not quite you're not quite sure. Or at least the device isn't designed to tell you when you are um, changing lenses on the phone very well so when you're actually doing a, a real change or whether you're just zooming yeah. um and then there's this the, it's complicated by the idea of like digital zoom so i'm gonna pull up my iphone here now <laughs> see how this how does it go so it, it changes between two lens and there's a zoom um or three lens rather and then if you go past your longest lens on your iphone mm. you're not actually changing the lens you're just um you're just cropping Hmm. So you're just you're just taking the image and cropping out the sides like you would do if you were to take the image in your um, not even Photoshop, just in your basic photo editor and cropping the sides off and making it bigger. The part right, with keeping. your two fingers, just kind of like spreading yeah, it out. Like, exactly. Yeah. So that's just a digital zoom. That's not actually doing anything, but but uh, editing the sides off. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, with all of that terminology all being described as a zoom, um, it's understandable that people today have trouble seeing it. But again, like this would be very noticeable, I would imagine, for audiences at the time who aren't used to seeing zooms. Oh, clever, clever Friedkin. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Um, okay, well, so in any case, um, we're back to Chris and she is searching and we get some more great shots of objects in the foreground, again, hiding her from us as she moves. Uh, she completely disappears for a second, along with her little candle flame. And we're like, oh, no, all the light is gone. And then we see the candle again. And she finds another trap. And this, this shot, I really like with uh, this uh, still shot with the light passing over the trap. I really feel like Chris in this moment as I'm trying to see what it is like, oh, is it a trap? Yes, it's a trap. Is the cheese still there? Yes, the cheese is still there. (laughs) I've also seen this effect used when someone is like searching for something and they're not seeing it, like they're missing it as they move the flashlight or the candle over. But we see it, we, the audience see it. And that sort of like creates that thing of like, we see the danger. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like I'm thinking of arachnophobia when like in the end, uh, when uh, Jeff Daniels is in the cellar with that, that torch and he's like looking through all the cracks and all the holes. uh, And then you get a close up on the spider's eyes and the Mm -hmm. reflection of the torchlight as it passes, like he passes its hiding spot and he doesn't see it. Right. Um, That's too scary. You got to warn me when you're talking about arachnophobia. (laughs) Oh shoot. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, arachnophobia. Um, And would you think by, 
putting us in the position of the spider or or the the monster, well, now we've ruined the jump scare, right? You would think that. But no, the jump scare still works. And that that fascinates me too, because you would think it's like, oh, we 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 leave the uh, the main character's point of view and now we're like with the spider or we're with Captain Howdy, but then the jump scare still happens later and we're still scared by it. Um, yeah, yeah I, I just heard uh, I just heard from someone um, on a podcast called On the Media, which is a great podcast just about hmm. the news typically, but they also deal with publishing and television and, and everything media. The internet is a good, but they- uh, On they just, the media? Yeah, On the Media. It's just a, um, uh, a radio show from New York, but it's, it's a, one of the great podcasts. And they had a guest on who was talking about the, um, the different types of jump scare. She had broken up into two different types, one where you are- anticipating it and one where you are not anticipating it hmm. it's just that they're they're both you know not that one's better or the other but they just have different um different mechanisms of how they how they scare us um so one of them has the dread that we go into it she also was talking about the um this other um this other split that she had between terror and horror okay. where terror is your your thrill and your um you're afraid of what's about to happen and horror is you are dealing with the repercussions of something that's happened Ooh, I like and so, that. like fear of the of the coming, and then fear of what's happened. Um, so, so it's a little bit tied into that. So, the jump scare that we are anticipating is more terror, and the jump mm-hmm. scare that uh, comes out of nowhere is more horror. Ah, oh, I I really like that. And speaking of jump scares, as we are straining to see, as we've got all our attention on this trap, that's when another crash startles us, and we look. I mean. Uh, uh, Chris looks, and perhaps it came from deeper in the attic. So we head deeper in. And again, I like the decision to go full POV here, right? That is scary. Now we're moving with Chris. She moves deeper into this seemingly endless attic, and the light from our candle is catching hints of things, but it's less a sense of the space and more a sense of shapes. And we don't know what those shapes are. And some of them look vaguely human. I don't think I'm alone in thinking that mannequins and dress dummies are creepy. Um, No, you are definitely not alone. No, definitely not. No. (laughs) Um, uh, I think in one episode, we talked about uh, the high place effect. Keenan, Mm -hmm. do you remember that? Yeah. And the call of the void is what I had heard it described. Right. On, yeah. You, on, on the media, that podcast that I was oh. talking about that I was stealing from. Yeah. Well, there you go. On the media, everybody go listen to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you're in a potentially dangerous situation and your brain kind of like freaks out, but then it like freaks out about freaking out. Like, mm-hmm. why are we freaking out? There's no threat here. Um, I think an extension of that would be uh, uh, when we see like vaguely human shapes that we know aren't dangerous, but still there's a part of our brain that's suddenly on alert, like mannequins, dress dummies, dolls, all the uncanny valley stuff that looks like a human, but it's just wrong enough for us to notice. Uh, like, and our reptile brain is like, wait a second, that person doesn't have a head or or that person hasn't moved at all. Something's wrong. I don't know what, but something is wrong. Well, we have to break that up into two separate things, right? Like again, yeah. the, the idea, I, I, hope, I hope we don't sound like a broken record, but but so much of this is now now we've talked about something several, yeah, at the beginning of our, our, um, our season. Uh, mm-hmm, is this going to be a 132 episode season? How do we talk about it? I think, I, no, I think it is. I think it's going to be like it's all one season. season. Yeah. That's what we call it. A season, big, okay. It's the exorcist season. It's the exorcist yeah. season, right? So at, near the beginning, I was talking about the idea of the pareidolia, how our brain right. uh, tries to make sense out of noise within stimulus. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It, it, it creates things like um, audio hallucinations where you're at a crowd and you, you hear people say, Lester, but no one's no one's shouting Lester, you know, right. you're just primed to try to listen for your name without even realizing it. And, and no one's shouting your name. It's just some other piece of noise that you're reading right. that way. I have that trouble whenever somebody says mustard. 
And that comes out as Lester. Yeah. Well, that's what I hear. I just hear the S T E R. And I was like, so I'm like, I, I don't have a very fun time at McDonald's. Like. <laughs> right. But that's every, everybody has that with their own, their own name that they hear things. Um, and so it's similar, you know, with uh, visual hallucinations or, or, and we don't even like to call them that, right. Uh, to say that we're hallucinating because there's such a, a, a heavy, um, heavy stigma about that. But, you know, when you see a pile of laundry in your room that you put there, and you saw it in the day and you know it's a pile of laundry. And then in twilight, when your lights are off, it looks like it looks like a creepy scarecrow person right. staring at you, watching you sleep. Right. That's a pareidolia. So animators and filmmakers use that to our advantage. Um, but it's just taking advantage of this really fundamental part of what it is to be an animal. Right. Right. Um, so we're walking through this uh, this attic with her. And, yeah, we see things that are designed to be human looking. Uh, dummies and mannequins and then everything else in everything else that we see there looks like faces or or we're potentially just trying to make sense out of it yeah yeah oof yeah and uh, yeah like uh, so speaking to that so we got we got pareidolia um which we talked about in in uh previous minutes uh and then also uncanny valley and, and uncanny valley is something that i am obsessed with welcome uh, to I the think. uncanny valley everybody yes uncanny valley um and i think it's because i can't pin it down like mm-hmm. my other like my other monsters and my other fears like going back to like spiders there was a time when i was a kid um when i wanted to be an arachnologist and i caught spiders and i had all these spider books and they weren't scary anymore because i had all the information about them it's like i know you i have you i have you like like pinned right that's so um, cool if i could stop why did you grow out of um being uh, interested in, in arach- arachnids and spiders. Like- um, I still am. I mm-hmm. think, you know what it was? I, Cause like this was, this, this happened around like elementary school, middle school. Um, I think it was just kind of like, you know, peer pressure and needing to fit in. I was the spider kid and it wasn't cool. And so I just kind of like, that's so dumb. If, if you had just held out like five more years, you would have been the coolest. It's just so weird how, how stupid kids are. Yeah, no. Oh, guys. And and this is a message to any kid. Actually, I hope no kids are listening to this. But <laughs> but if you are, if you are, take this away. Um, whatever you like, whatever you're passionate about, keep liking that, okay? Whatever. And, and anybody who says that like, oh, it's stupid, it's baby, it's blah, it's, or it's weird or whatever, like screw them. Keep, keep liking it because guess what? Times change. The zeitgeist changes. When I was a kid, comic books weren't cool. Mm-hmm. You were a nerd if you liked comic books. Now, guess what? Marvel movies are all they show. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I hope you know my my boyfriend does listen, so I hope I hope he doesn't take this the wrong way again. But but he he doesn't know the X Men, and and like everybody else in my life knows the X Men. So so <laughs> because his comics are cool, everyone loves comics now, and, and everyone I knew grew up with the X Men. But but he's a little bit older, and then when he was a kid, just you know he didn't listen, he didn't there wasn't the X-Men TV show. There weren't X-Men movies and he didn't read the comics. So he missed all this. And, and so I have trouble sometimes when I'm, my points of references are like, Oh, it's, it's like how, you know, how if rogue rogue can't kiss somebody without killing him, <laughs> he's like, you have to explain like, Oh God, I have to explain all this again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Keenan, I, I think I'm in, in very much the same boat as you, you don't know like the X-Men. The, I, well, I know of the X-Men. Okay. No, 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 Who doesn't no, no. know of the X-Men? But okay? you don't know what I mean when I say that rogue can't kiss anybody. No, I don't. Okay. All right. So yeah, I don't, as I mean, I don't mean to make fun of it. Just, it's just like, oh gosh, I, like I just take for granted that everybody knows this stuff. No, no, no. And, yeah. and, but that's, that's, uh, I think we, we stumbled upon like a really good kind of, uh, uh, point here is that no, I, there was a time when I was exposed to that stuff and like I was, I was learning about Spider-Man and Batman and, and all of those, all of those, uh, guys and, and the X-Men as well. And, and I just kind of like, in that developmental stage that that is is you know uh, happening when when kids are growing up, you you 
you move away from anything that is not like universally accepted by that age mm-hmm. as cool. Right. And so, and then like fast forward a couple years and now, and now the X-Men are cool and Spider-Man is cool and Batman is cool, but I'm like, oh shoot, I missed the boat. I don't know as much about this as <laughs> now my, as now my nerds. students, yeah, now my <laughs> students are making fun of me for not knowing oh, about yeah, it. Oh yeah, that's like, I'm trying not to make fun of, but, um, but yeah, Iraq, if you were an arachnologist, you would arachnologist. As, as arachnologist, you would have been yeah, the coolest person in that I know. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh! <sighs> but like, yeah, it, it, like, um, yeah, that was just something that I. But it was it, it came out of. So the point I was trying to make, like, it came out of me. Like, if if I know all about this thing that I'm afraid of, mm-hmm. then I can't be afraid of it anymore. Right. It's like a it's like a Pokemon. <laughs> I have a, I have all of its stats, right? <laughs> Oh man, well that's what I need to do with horror movies because you know horror movies uh, scare me too much that I don't I don't it takes me a while to see new horror movies because they affect me so badly. I think I said this on the Halloween episode, which some of our listeners might have skipped because it was a bonus episode, but mm-hmm. but I don't I'm, skip that. It's got full of really good stuff, <laughs> and it has uh, Andy Nelson of the Marvel Nelson. movie. Oh no, he's going to listen to this us talking about Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Andy. No, he Sorry. was excited for us to go on the Marvel Minute, mo- the yes. Marvel movie Minute, because you gotta, because you don't know like what a Thanos is or. Yes. <laughs> but um, Keenan, I know that I know enough about Thanos that that I know that Thanos is a proper name. It's not a Thanos, okay? <laughs> but in the comics, Thanos is, which I did read as a kid as I was coming out this this Infinity Saga when it, when, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, and Thanos is um, in, in love with the personification of death, like literally the god death. Oh, oh, and okay. You see, oh, there you go. This is interesting, right? So, so now, now it's yeah, yeah. He's in love with death, so that's why he wants to kill everyone in the universe to give her souls, and she never oh. gives him any like feedback about whether it's working. So he just keeps like killing and killing and killing and killing. I see. So it's a one-sided relationship. It's a one-sided. Yeah, it's not not a healthy relationship. No. But that's different from the the Thanos you know, which is he's an environmentalist. He's an environmental right. terrorist. Yeah, I see. Um, so like like Thanos is texting death, and he sees he sees the little like like received red. <laughs> check check mark and exactly. he's like huh okay <laughs> right yeah exactly he's like i i turned um i turned wolverine's bones into sponge and he dripped off the side of the earth <laughs> and so and so what do you think about that and she's just like mm, okay like, that's, that's great that's awesome <laughs> right. i can't talk right awesome. now i um i'm actually I'm out, I'm out with my friends right now i uh <laughs> but you keep doing you boo yeah mm-hmm <laughs> Let's catch up sometime. Not right now. Not this week. Not not next week. <laughs> not not, not the week after that. Um, right. Don't don't use the time stone to make next week this week. I, no. I won't. I won't appreciate that. Don't do that again. <laughs> but anyways, that's, that's really interesting about about. So the next thing that scares you is the uncanny valley. So and I think it still scares me because we still kind of don't know. Yeah, like it's a completely new science, is. right? So if you can, yeah. ex- do you want to explain what that is for people at home who don't know what well, that is? Or see, and I, and I was like, do you want hmm, me to take should, a stab at it or? Well, oh yeah, let's listen to let's 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 hear you. Um, um, so let me think. So the uncanny valley is this idea that comes from robotics, um, and the idea is about it's measuring people's aversion to robots, um, and like just even like robots that do tasks. So like an arm that um, you know we we use these metaphors about like robots, right? There's a robot arm, even though it's not an arm. So it's a robot arm that lifts um, metal onto the assembly line um, at the at the factory. And if you if it is some giant clampy un unhuman like thing, it could be really scary to people. It's like, gosh, I'm working right next to this giant terrible thing. So if we make it look more like an arm and talk about it as an arm, then if we, when we put it on, on this chart about um, 
about whether we have an aversion to it, the human um, acceptance of it goes up. Right. So we're like, oh, it's an arm. I get it. It's like my buddy's arm, but it's really a robot. Right. It, it just has like maybe three fingers on it. Again, a metaphor of fingers. And then we say, OK, well, um, you know, the more that we make it look like a human arm, it'll be less threatening. So if we hide the wires and the the um, hydraulics in it, then it'll be less threatening to you on the on the assembly line. Um, but what if we encase that um, that arm with something that looks like fleshy skin? Yeah. <laughs> now on our chart that had been going up about our human uh, likability of this robot starts to go down. Yes. So by making it more human-like, we actually get a dip in our human reaction to it in what they call the uncanny valley, according to this chart. Yes. And in theory, if we continued going on, we would get out of the uncanny valley if, say, now instead of an arm, just a, a disembodied arm, <laughs> it is like an Osimo robot, right? And he's a little buddy and he has a little robot face on him. Yes. Right? And, and he's the one now moving the, the metal onto the arm. Or it looks like Baymax from Big Hero 6. No problems there, even no though... No problems there. Yeah, it's, it's more human-like than, than the three-fingered uh, robot hydraulics with flesh and hair on it. Right. And I was actually so I was debating uh, on whether or not to to stick this little bit of uh, notes in here or wait until we get to the Reagan dummy um, mm-hmm. later on. But I mean, we've we've kind of opened up this this can of worms. So let's let's go. Um, so, yeah. So. Thank you, Keenan, like for for beautifully explaining that. Yes, is that and about right? Yeah, yeah, I'm not a robot. That's about so. Yeah, um, I think I think uh, I think it was coined by a Japanese roboticist mm-hmm. who, yeah. like he he had uh, attempted to create uh, like a, a a robot of his daughter, and when his daughter saw it, like she cried Ugh, because yeah, because terrible. it because yeah, <laughs> it looked too real, and that's that's the thing is that like it's basically this feeling of unease when you get when you see something like almost human or almost alive but like not quite so think of think of like um dolls think of ventriloquist dummies um overly like photorealistic cartoons stuff like that like there's a reason in cartoons that they exaggerate the features no one has correctly sized facial features there's all they're always big and cartoony like mr incredible's chin is impossibly big and we love mr incredible right we're not scared of him and we look at elmo who is like different from us as as you can be like he is he is as far away from us as as you know something like human like can be but our brain notices the similarities because of that we're like oh elmo has a nose and two eyes i can relate to uh Mm -hmm. elmo he's very sweet and cute but you look at something like um like a super realistic doll or a ventriloquist dummy like a like charlie mccarthy or or jerry mahoney or howdy doody right (laughs) howdy doody howdy doody (laughs) and because it's so close to lifelike uh because like the the eyes and the nose and everything is like correctly proportioned Mm -hmm. our our brain only picks up on the differences. Like, why does the mouth look like that? Mm-hmm. Why Why aren't the eyes moving? We don't even notice that Elmo's eyes don't move because we love Elmo. Right, yeah. Elmo's eyes don't look like they are supposed to move. Yes, And Charlie right? McCarthy's eyes and Howdy Doody's eyes look like they should move. Like they should be moving. And what's <laughs> wrong with Howdy Doody? Am I going to catch what Howdy Doody has? <laughs> Oh God! Like that's, I, I don't want what like, Howdy Doody has. Yeah. <laughs> right? But like going back to like, because Keenan, you were talking about like it's an animal, like primal survival thing. Mm-hmm. Like we see, we see something that looks human, but looks like maybe it's like dead, or it has like some kind of disease, maybe. And or it's and our brain. Kind of, I mean, we don't we don't necessarily have this anywhere near on our evolutionary scale, but there are 
there are predators who who pretend to be your own species, you know, way, way back. So maybe that's even, you know, totally built in there. I mean, my cats will will look at a picture of a cat and they will they will they will go towards and go like, I know this isn't a cat. You know, if you if you hold up like a, a magazine with a cat on it, they'll be like, I know this isn't a cat. I need to investigate this. This is something trying to pretend to be a cat. And the only reason they would do that is because it's trying to eat me and my family. Yes, yes. And then there's even, oh, my God, like now you made me think of like the latest thing on TikTok in, in like, you know, uh, uh, during the recording of this episode is cats owners putting on cat masks <laughs> and scaring the shit out of their out of their actual cats. Oh, those poor kitties. But it's so funny when it happens to other cats. I wouldn't do it to mine. <laughs> right. No, not not ours. Right. Um, yeah. Like I was saying, we don't even notice that Elmo's eyes don't move because we love Elmo. In fact, our brain will often fill in the gaps and give Elmo or Fozzie or Kermit or Gonzo emotions that aren't even there. Like, folks, okay, we're, we're like way off topic, but go onto YouTube and look up Muppet Movie Camera Test. And Jim Henson and his crew, they took Kermit and Fozzie out and they just like improvised a bunch of scenes. And there's this scene where Fozzie and Kermit are up in uh, the tree and Fozzie's like, ah, this is great. A bear in his natural habitat. And Kermit is like, well, you're actually not a real bear. <laughs> and Fozzie gives him this look like, what? And the whole improvised scene is just like Kermit trying to explain to Fuzzy that they aren't real. And he keeps on saying things like, like, you don't have teeth. And he's like, well, no, of course I don't have teeth. And it's like, I love this like meta, like you're not real, but watching. And again, there's nothing to see, but my brain is, is picking up the gears turning in Fozzie's head as he's <laughs> listening. I'm not even watching Kermit as he's talking. I'm watching Fozzie as he's reacting. And then my brain is like, what? reacting what? He's a piece of foam. <laughs> right. There's, there's, a, there's a couple hands in there. <laughs> yeah. But he's he's got this look like he's he's going through this existential crisis. Like, he's like, I don't follow you. Like, what? No. <laughs> yeah. But like, that is what our brain does. It's And, and it's because Fozzie and Kermit are are so different from us that we we're like okay with it and, and we we accept the the similarities uh and we don't care about the differences versus if something were like really close to us like a dress dummy mm-hmm. uh you know to go back into the scene we notice that it doesn't have a head <laughs> god <laughs> right <laughs> and that creeps us out just as much as um you know we there's more scenes later on that are in the dark so we should there's other things to look at in the psychology of just darkness but so yeah i think the uncanny valleyness of it here uh, coupled with the fact that we can't quite see, like maybe maybe we can deal with the dress mannequin in the light when we're used to using it, right? To put on a dress and to tack things onto it. But in the dark, it's a whole other whole other can of worms. It's a whole other it's, can of worms, right. kind of kind of weird muppety worms. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, and then, okay, so we were talking about scares. We were talking about like um, uh, terror versus horror. And God damn it, Keenan, I knew this fucking thing was coming. Mm-hmm. We're doing this podcast. We're, we're, we're pausing. We're rewinding. We're examining. We're taking notes. We're going through this at a snail's pace. And this next bit still got me. My reptile brain was right. Something was wrong. Uh, so like Chris's Chris's candle like flares up. There's this big explosion of flame. And she's like, <gasps> right? It, it gets me every time. Every single freaking time. And I misremember and, where where it is in the attic. So this time I thought it was in this previous shot from, of her looking down before we get that point of view shot that you love. Mm-hmm. I thought it was yeah. there. I thought it was right off the top. And it's not. It always, always gets me. Always. Now, also, I never thought about this, Keenan. That's a practical effect. 
Ellen Burstyn could have come away from this scene sans eyebrows if something went wrong, which, again, Friedkin's track record. I'm surprised this isn't one of the famous injury scenes. Right. That's a really good point I hadn't thought about. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you notice, folks, that fire does not shoot straight up into the air. No. It shoots at her. It shoots at Ellen Burstyn's face. Flames on the side of her face. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Had to throw that in there. Um, and, and she moves it away at the last second. And at first I thought it was – at first I seriously thought it was someone like just like off stage with like a, like a gas canister oh. just blowing gas at Ellen Burstyn <laughs> uh, because of the direction of the flames. But apparently there's like a, mecha- a mechanism inside the candle itself. Um, yeah, I'm not sure which one is safer. <laughs> this one looks really good. Yeah, um, it looks really good. Yeah, for this candle to have a second, uh, I guess, acetane or butane or whatever, have a, it has a second feed and independent of the wick of the candle. So it, it's like a real candle, I believe. I mean, it, that's what it looks like. And then next to it is um, is a gas canister of some kind. Yeah, Jesus. And probably not triggered by Ellen Burstyn herself, because otherwise then you wouldn't get that, like, surprise. Right? <laughs> that's the thing. Oh, can you just trust them to, to act? Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I doubt it. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like she does anything to trigger it. She doesn't press the... You know, we can we can look at this frame by frame. She doesn't press anything there, so it'd have to be in her other hand or something. And I don't I don't think right, that's what's right. going on. Yeah. So, ay ay ay. Now, Keenan, I have questions. Um, this is this is the the title of our our freaking minute here. Um, earlier. Uh, we had that awesome discussion uh, about unreliable narrators and how maybe what we're seeing here is not what is actually objectively happening, but only in the character's mind. Something crazy just happened in this minute. Do you think it really happened or was that in Chris's mind? That hadn't occurred to me before, but you're okay, saying because, because if, yeah, I mean, she walks if away If that fire <laughs> actually did happen, right. I have questions about the rest of this scene. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, because then they have a, you know, she and, and Carl have a, a pretty normal conversation. After right, that, right, right. <laughs> so, like the way I saw it, okay, like the way that I see this, Chris gets startled by this huge flame. And then she gets startled by Carl, mm-hmm. who is just suddenly there. And she completely forgets that her candle just tried to kill her. <laughs> and it plays out like the classic trope of like, you know, the, the, the scare that's not a scare. Like, oh. <gasps> What was that? Oh, it's only the cat, right? Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's like, oh no, my candle's gone crazy. Oh, it's only my butler. What? Like, like Carl, you know what I said about candles? Come on, this is like the fifth time. Like, it's it's almost like, oh, it's only Carl. No, it's Carl is another thing. <laughs> so I guess those are the those are the two options: is that it's not in Chris's mind, or it's, it doesn't really happen. It's really in Chris's mind that that um. You know, she was so scared by Carl that she imagines this thing. I don't know if we have any indication really of, of that happening to Chris the same way that the Father Marin one. There's several indications of that. Right. So it wouldn't just be one thing. So then if that's not the case, then it the other explanation would be that um, she's so she's so scared of Carl. She assumes that Carl scaring her has made her mishandle this candle in some way. Maybe like like but like. It happens before, you know, <laughs> like Carl happens. Carl is the second thing that ha- and I know like like we're joking. I know it's not Carl who caused it. Right. It, it's not Carl. But then why isn't Carl like why isn't Carl like, madam, you see, there are no holy shit. What the <laughs> fuck was that? Like, like, why isn't he freaking out? Mm-hmm. Or, 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 OK, maybe he didn't see. Maybe he popped up just as it finished going crazy. So why isn't Chris like, holy shit, Carl, this thing just happened. Or at the very least, Carl, I think we have a gas leak up here. Like, th- like rats aren't the problem anymore. 
<laughs> but it's like the reveal of Carl cancels out the candle thing. I don't know. Am I dumb or like? What? I don't think so. I think, of course, we we don't. You know, in the emotional logic of the movie, we don't ask ourselves those questions as we're watching it. We're 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 asking ourselves these questions because we're watching the movie as psychopaths do. Right. I'm sorry. And they're, sorry. There are probably people who like watching movies. I know there are people who like watching that movies, but that's not the way they're designed. So it's not that you're a psychopath. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're, no. you're using. We're saying we're, saying we're psychopaths. We're <laughs> right. Movies. But you're using the film in a way that it was not in a way that was not intended to be used <laughs> by watching it, looking at it and looking for continuity mistakes and logic errors and, and all those things. That's not how, how they were made to be watched. Right. But like we, we move on so quickly that we, us, the audience is kind of left like, Wait, what just happened? Did I like? Is something wrong? Is something not wrong? Like, was that? Well, I like, think. I think as the as we watch it as the audience, we go, "Oh, thank goodness, she's not going to die here. It's Carl." And then we forget any of the other questions we're asking because we're more concerned about the life and death, <laughs> the life and death stakes than uh, the logic mistakes. Yeah, and Captain Howdy won't kill Ellen Burstyn while Carl is there. <laughs> I think Captain Howdy is afraid of Carl, as everyone else is. Interesting. Oh, ooh, ooh. I didn't even think about it. Okay, let Wouldn't me put that be? in the back of my mind. I mean, geez, Carl. Oof. Yeah, he is He is. A, he is quite an imposing figure. Yes. Um, and that's that's kind of part of his character. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's all we got. We got as much as we could get mm-hmm. uh, out of this minute, Keenan. We talked about practical effects. We talked about Uncanny Valley. We talked about Muppets. Um, yeah. yeah. Don't get us and, too, too sidetracked on Muppets all the time, though. I know, right? Oscars and Ellen. We even talked about Ellen DeGeneres <laughs> in this thing. I don't know if I'm going to say the power of Ellen DeGeneres. I don't know. Current events. Uh, no, uh, past events. Recent events. I don't know. Whatever. All right. So, Keenan, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I think I am, Lester. Folks, until next time, the, the power, power of Gollum compels, compels you. What's Tahitra's precious? <laughs> the power of fish compels you. <laughs> no, wait. Would Gollum be Reagan or would Gollum be one of the priests? Oh, or would no, Gollum Reagan be, be both, of the priests? <laughs> both of the priests? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any Oscars. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes you. <laughs> <laughs>